Hey everyone, welcome back to Author Eki. And today we have Sarah Johnson. I'm going to let her introduce herself, talk about uh, her books. And I found out that she was a storm chaser. So we're going to talk about that too, because we're not only going to talk about, you know, what's going on in the book world, but also just in general and have a great conversation. So Sarah, take it away. Okay. Um, I'm Sarah Johnson. I live in Indianapolis, Indiana, a little town called New Palestine, which is southeast of the city. Um, so I uh, wrote a book. I, I still think that it sounds weird to say that. Uh, <laughs> we all do. <laughs> For us to say it. So, <laughs> we uh, wrote one. I, yeah. My book is uh, The Devil Inside Me, Finding Jesus in a Life of Struggle. Okay. And I, I wrote this book in the interest of helping others. Excellent. I, uh, it's, it's really a, a nonfiction story about a medical mystery that I had. And it took doctors over 23 years to diagnose my problem. And I felt in that time period that I came very close to death. Oh, wow. And the experiences that came along with that led me down a spiritual path um, and, and ultimately I uh, wanted to share my testimony in hopes of helping people not only to help them deal with um, any problems they might have mm -hmm. in their lives obviously we all have them right right to one degree or another Some of them are quite life-altering as was yes. my situation um, and if I can help someone out even even to um, the point of making someone feel like they're not alone with their struggle, um, all the way to the end of the curve, which could ultimately lead someone to Christ. So oh, my, my book is twofold in that regard. Okay. Um, and uh, can't believe I did it. It's 36 chapters. <laughs> <laughs> the, the chapters are intentionally relatively short, averaging about five pages. Um, and I did that because I wanted it to be a quick read. I did not want right. to get bored and put it down. Right. Uh, but do you, have a, um, do you have a picture of the book or the cover I of the book? Sure Can we do. see it? Let's see that yeah, bad boy. Although, um, you know, the one I use for talking uh -huh. is my very first proof copy. <laughs> oh, wow. And so I've got this strip across the front that says not for resale. Uh -huh. I, you know, I did that for a couple reasons. One, because when I got my very first copy in mm -hmm. the mail, I was so excited. And I, you know, it, it wasn't just excitement because, ooh, now I'm an author. Right. It was excitement because here in my hand now is a source that so many people can access to get through something really, really trying. Right. And um, it's this, this little strip on the front is a reminder to me about how excited I was and to keep that passion and that motivation alive in me to keep going with what I originally wrote it for. Well, you know, it may be, you know, somebody pick it up now, this could be some preventive uh, medicine for them, right? Yes, it, it, Not only during and after, but prepping, because it, it's inevitable, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Inevitable. So I think that's the way to look at it. Just not if you have, but you know, if, or if you know somebody or so it's a, it's a great way to show your love or appreciation to somebody by trying to help them without saying, I'm going to help you. And it's funny you mentioned that because when I do my book signings, there is always someone who says, you know, don't put my name on it. I would like to give it as a gift to someone. Oh, nice. That I know. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's leukemia was a recent one um, or uh, know, my, uh, my family's dealt with that. My granddaughter had leukemia. So I've dealt with that. Yeah. It's, it's very common, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Giving, giving the book as a gift is, is a wonderful idea. Even if you feel like you don't need it. Of course it. it's, it's, yeah. you know, it's sometimes people don't only think about themselves. It's strange as that sounds. <laughs> That's so, true. And <laughs> Christmas is coming up. And it is Christ's birthday, so it's perfect. There you go. <laughs> so what, uh, how long did it take you to write it? I mean, it, evidently, you said you struggled that for years. Was it 
like I'm going to write a book or I've been writing one. I'm going to think about it. Cause I know when I told people I'm going to write a book, they looked at me like, first of all, it was okay. Travis, how many beards have you had? Uh, <laughs> and okay. Because I, I, I pretty eclectic sometimes. So once I said I did, I had to do it. There was no turning back. Now I've said, I'm writing the second one. I've got to do it. And I've really taken writing almost to a full-time job right now Good. Uh, to do it because it, it, it takes it's it's hard, right? So what t- let's t- you know, did you self-publish? What are your what were your struggles? How long did it take? You know, or an advice that you can give some young aspiring or old aspiring author, author to be or whatever they want, or just write something to help you help you out. Just write sure. something down. Yeah, my my advice to someone thinking about writing a book is do it. You have yeah. some reason for thinking that it it would help someone or help yourself. Sometimes, um, you know, something I experienced was that it was so therapeutic for me to write it. So not only am I helping someone else potentially, but I'm helping myself by writing this almost like, um, you know, the same effect you would get from journaling. Um, And, you know, as, as good as it was, I had moments where I thought, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to get through Mm -hmm. this because I'm dealing with it all over again, emotionally. Uh, I'm writing, peel the scab off. I'm yes. I'm writing about something that was Mm -hmm. so extremely painful to me that it, it is like pouring salt in a wound. Oh yeah. But um, you know, you're you're taking that emotion and you're sharing it with someone else who's going to need it later. Yeah. So my my advice to someone, you know, thinking about writing is is mm-hmm. to keep thinking about it and make a decision to do it. Yeah. There's a reason why you're you're getting that itch. Exactly. What my books are fiction, but what I try to put in each well, my only got one, so I'm writing a second, but each book first and you know uh ones after this is Put in something personal, not maybe not personal to me, but something personal that somebody can relate to in the book to humanize it. It's a fiction book, but humanize it, right? Put something in the book that some say, oh, I've known somebody with that, or I've dealt with it myself to kind of relate back to themselves, even though it's a fiction book, uh, to kind of look in at themselves and become part of the book. But yours is non, so you were the book. You are the book, right? I mean, you are the book. And even, you know, the, the uh, great thing about fiction books is that, you know, maybe someone is having a hardship and you're, you're allowing them an opportunity to escape that temporarily. Uh, You know, I did that in my own situation, Mm -hmm. you know, when I was sick and I, you know, I'm I'm looking to do something else to keep my mind busy. Books are a great way to do that. They are. I, I like to say, I hate to write. I hate to write. But I like telling stories in the written form because hey, people that know me know that I can't write. I'm terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I enjoy it. And I like talking to other people that have, you know, whether it's fiction or nonfiction or biography or autobiography or whatever it may be, it's you put yourself out there when you when you write it right and you're putting yourself out there no matter what because there are people out there they're going to read it they're going to be critics there's always critics um oh, yeah. so what are you self-published or did you like did you just start you know one day say okay i'm going to write and you started writing and, and how did that how was that flow or what was the process of that like well um after i got my diagnosis mm-hmm. finally i had a surgery a corrective surgery and um, that happened shortly before Thanksgiving. So um, it was around Thanksgiving when I, I first thought about writing this book. And you know, mm-hmm. what was really weird was that I, I felt, as strange as it is to say, mm-hmm. I felt like it was not my own idea. I felt, oh, like, wow. Interesting. I felt like someone or something was telling me, write your story, right. write your story. Um, and I couldn't shake it. Yeah. I, you know, I think we all deal with the self-criticism. And on occasion, you know, we have such self-doubt about not being able to fulfill or to do the things mm-hmm. that we may be desiring to do. Um, 
you know, and, and there are things that people don't follow through with because they don't think they're capable. Um, and those right. insecurities can keep us from a lot of things. And so I think it was completely normal for me to, you know, kind of yell back at this voice. What? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> who's talking why? to me? <laughs> why, why me? Who's going exactly. to who would ever read a book that I try to write and, you know, making it to the end would be an impossible feat. It seems like it sometimes, doesn't it? Yes, it really it does. does. You it know? does. Um, but yeah, I, I would dismiss the idea and then be doing be doing something and at random, write your story. <laughs> and I just, I couldn't get the idea to be quiet. It was constant. And one day I'd had enough of it. I took a blanket out mm -hmm. to the backyard with a notebook and a pen. Oh, wow. And it was a, that's it was, old school. <laughs> it was a beautiful day out extra, you know, kind of abnormally yeah. sunny for that time yeah. of year. Um, and I went outside and I just, I told my husband, I, I have to just start. Um, you know, I, yep. I have to, I have to give it a try so that I can authentically say that I did. Yeah. Because if I don't try, then it's not going anywhere. Right. So I uh, sat down on this on this blanket and I uh, I said a little prayer, <laughs> you know, like if I'm really supposed to do this, then you're going to have to help me with it, Lord. Like I can't do this on my own. Right. Um, and then I'm OK, well, where do I start? Mm -hmm. uh, and the only place I knew to start was the beginning. So I started writing about my very first memory mm. of my symptoms. And for those that aren't familiar with my content or my history, um, I couldn't I pronounce it. That's why I don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> I began experiencing symptoms my freshman year of college. I had been completely fine, very healthy as mm. a child. I could eat anything I wanted to. Um, so I, I get to college. I went to Ball State in Muncie, Indiana. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I would have like a 10 o'clock French class. And then I would have another class at one o'clock, mm -hmm. two o'clock. So I, I had a break to come home and, and have a lunch and to maybe watch TV or do something, you know, to cushion that time until I had mm -hmm. to leave again. And my, my first memory was um, when we lived in a house off campus and I'm making macaroni and cheese for lunch. And um, that's a college kids uh, lunch, by the way, uh, universal that I and ramen noodles. <laughs> I had it all the time. It was so good. And it was cheap. Of course. You know, of course. Yeah. It's fantastic. Or for the that's a staple you have. <laughs> That's probably a question on a test. What'd you eat for lunch? And if you say mac and cheese, you get an A. So I don't know. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> so I'm making this mac and cheese yeah. and, you know, not, not a care in the world about its effects and um, finished eating, um, you know, realized all of a sudden I'm, you know, if I don't hurry up, I'm going to be late kind of thing. Grabbed my bag and out the door I went and I'm about halfway to class when I get hit with this real clammy nausea, you know, just this yuck feeling. Um, and I instantly thought, oh, I hope I'm not getting the flu right. because that's exactly what it felt like. Um, you know, your stomach's all of a sudden really edgy mm -hmm. and just, I was feeling like I was sweating, but it wasn't hot enough outside to be, you know, right. feeling like that. By the time I got to my class, I felt like I was going to yak and I was sure I was going to. So I oh, well. avoided the classroom and detoured to the bathroom. I proceeded to throw up. And then it's like, okay, you know, maybe something I ate was bad. I had had mm -hmm. cut up hot dogs in my macaroni, which is something I just learned. You are a life. college student. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in fact, my book says, I don't know where I learned to like that, but someone told me to try it at some point, I guess. It's like I, uh, spaghetti and meatballs with just yeah. cheese and no uh, marinara. <laughs> exactly right. And no, so thought, well, not, maybe no, no meat. 
that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I went home and, you know, after I recovered, of course, I'm digging through the trash for the hot dog package to look at the date. And, you know, I was thinking what in the world would have caused me to be sick? Cause I'll tell you what, I got home and I immediately went to bed. Um, I was, I was worried about having another episode of throwing yeah. up. And so, you know, for a few minutes, I sat there un, uncertain. And then when I, when I finally thought, well, maybe I'm safe, I, I laid down and I took like a two hour nap and I, I woke up feeling perfectly fine, which was odd. Yeah. And how great, because it was almost the weekend. And I thought, well, at least I'm not going to be sick for the weekend. Right. But you know, what I, what I did spend my weekend doing was wondering what, what that was, um, what caused it because I certainly don't want it to happen again. Yeah. Um, and you know, just like that, it was over no other signs. Um, nothing. So I went about my business and, you know, I don't know, it was probably a couple months later when it happened again. Hmm. And fast forward this, this uh, reoccurring bout of symptoms would resurface again every so often. And after, after maybe the sixth or seventh time, I began to think there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this isn't your average 24 hour bug kind of thing. Right. So then I, I went through the dilemma of, you know, okay, do I tell my parents? Do I continue to hide it? Um, I didn't want to, you know, I mean, I was an adult at that point, obviously, but. You don't want to freak your parents out. I didn't want to freak my parents yeah. out. And I also did not want to get in trouble for not saying anything because I could see my parents getting upset with me for withholding that kind yeah. of. Oh, yeah. Especially when you're not going to class. So. Yeah, true. <laughs> but it works. <laughs> yeah, although uh, I tr- I tried really hard to suppress yeah. it. Um, I had a part time job. I worked at the hardware store during that time to to earn some bucks, and uh, had a few times where I would miss a work shift too, or I'd get to work, you know, and and I had just had dinner because my shift was from five to nine. Right. I would have a bite of dinner before leaving for work. And by the time I got to work, I was sick. Um, so that that's really, you know, the onset of this ordeal. And so that's where I started my book oh, was wow. from the very beginning of this all happening. How long did it take you to write your book? It took me two and a half years okay. from start to finish. Um, and I, you know, some, some people will write their entire book and then start the editing process. Mm-hmm. I chose to edit simultaneously. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether or not that made the process faster, but it made me feel like I was utilizing my time wisely because, it, you know, the chapter I had just written was fresh in my mind when I went back to make changes. Oh, good. Um, I took a writing class we have here in Indianapolis. We have a a writing center Mm -hmm. where you can take classes and get some coaching. Um, And I, I took a class on. I think I would have to take the the pre-class to that. The (laughs) write your alphabet. (laughs) The class on, do you want to write this? (laughs) No class on, you need to take a pre-class to this. Make sure you can get in this class and write. I'd have to take like, let me see your alphabets, do your alphabets. (laughs) so my my writing instructor um was very encouraging and i ended up meeting with him after class Mm -hmm. Um, he shared in class that on the side he edits for people and i knew that that was kind of the next step for me right right to find an editor and I knew nothing about the process. So if anything, you know, A, do you want to edit for me? <laughs> and right. D, no, Please. Who yeah. could I talk to? Yeah. So, um, you know, he he was my, my springboard, really. Because even after writing chapter one, there was still that, you know, should I just take this, this packet of papers and wad them up? Like, no, 
is this really a valuable way to spend my time? Am I really going to write this whole thing? And it does take time. People don't realize it's, it's yeah. almost, it occupies a lot of, a lot of free time. Yes, it does. Or, you know, or am I going to get halfway through and wish I had been doing something else? Right. Time. And, you know, his name was Jeff and bless his heart. <laughs> he was so encouraging. And he said, you know, you really have a story to tell. And you have something here that that would really um, be helpful to other people. And I, you know, he was reading my mind because I really thought that's that's what I want to do. That would yeah. be my goal if I go forward with this. Yes. Um, so he said, I'd be happy to look at chapter one for you. Um, and then, you know, we can start this, you know, quote unquote relationship as more of a mentor coach thing to see if this is really for you. Um, so we met at the library a couple of times and that was right before COVID hit. Oh no! And so we had just kind of ramped the project up when, mm -hmm. you know, we got hit with this brick wall. Right. Um, but the good thing is COVID, I think COVID allowed me the time that I might not have had otherwise to just kind of force me into yeah. isolation and, you know, okay, well now I have, <laughs> I have all this time that I can't go places I would normally go. I can't mm -hmm. see people I would normally see. Right. So, you know, instead of sitting here watching. Might as well write a book. <laughs> I might as well write a book. <laughs> Yeah. So not even on my bucket list, but I'm going to do it. So, uh, so I did. And I, you know, I wrote, I wrote chapter two and I, I just, you know, I, I never wrote an outline. Some people start out that way and they're really, you know, and in, in my opinion, yeah. there is no right or wrong way to write a book. You do it the I way you feel natural. And for me, it was just, it was just write and don't stop. Um, I learned I was a, 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 they have a type of author. I'm a pantser, which is a type of author, which doesn't have, it just writes whatever's on your mind. You just write, yeah. write and write. It's like brainstorming. Yeah. Wherever that takes me, then I, yes. I can you know, go or I'll come back or, and when I edit, I like to print it out uh -huh. and read it like a book. Yeah. Oh, to me, me too. It, that's the way I like to edit. Cause I can find things. Then I do can always look at the screen. Right. Exactly. And I like to write, yeah. I, I find it enjoyable to write outside in the morning. I go outside. I'm in Texas. So you can write 10, 11 months out of the year outside, probably 12 if you wear a jacket. So I like doing that in the morning and listening to music at the same time. So, you know, ADD, whatever you want to call it, but it, it that's the way that, that I like to do it. That's where I found that really kind of, you know, helps me. Yeah. Nor can I sit eight hours and write, I would go bananas. Yeah, I had to do it a little bit of it at a time. And I had to be in the right mood or the right mind mm -hmm. frame to yes. write too. Um, I like to write at the library because there are minimal distractions. Um, but I also I also found it peaceful to just sit here and write at home where I was comfortable. Yeah. Um, but you know, I had to have peace and quiet. I had to have, you know, it was just me alone with my thinking. And um you know, that there are some raw moments in my book where I just, you know, I, I get all vulnerable and I just put it out there because we're all that way at yes. some point. Um, but, you know, I, I did not hold back, you know, when right. I'm, when I'm talking about the moments where I am throwing up, <laughs> you know, it's just like, um, there's worse things in books, by the way. So that's not even probably so, probably so, <laughs> yeah. but you know, the, the points where I, I thought I was on the verge of death, which mm -hmm. is obviously much later in my book, but because I got to the point where I feared eating, um, my, my weight plummeted as did my energy, uh, my nutrition, my hair mm -hmm. began to fall out. Um, now, everybody, I do eat, so don't let my hair falling out. I do eat. So. <laughs> well, I was um, I was feeling it up at the top when I would go to shampoo, uh -huh. and I was I was noticing how thin it felt and how right. 
coarse and just dry. Right. Um, and then, you know, as I'm, as I'm raking my fingers through my hair, out comes a clump. And that, that kind of thing had never happened. That had to freak you out. I have very thick hair. I have my mom's right. thick hair. Right. So to, to see it coming out was very alarming. And I, there, I have there, my mom's knees. <laughs> Good thing we can't see them. Then I guess. <laughs> we'll go, yeah. <laughs> things that things that just um, you know you you have nightmares about. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I would step on the scale and find that I'd lost an ungodly amount of weight since last week. Oh wow! You know and. <laughs> And some, some people jokingly, you know, would be like, oh my gosh, I wish that would happen to me. No, you don't. No, they don't. <laughs> yeah. It was extremely scary. Um, you know, stepping out of the shower and catching a glimpse of yourself in the mirror and I, I could see my ribs. Um, and I just, you know, I, I looked like a skeleton. That's and not a good look. People at work were starting to ask me if you know are things okay you, you look sick and I, they were very oh, wow. good at framing that in a polite fashion right but you know another scary thing is when is when you're trying to hide what's happening from mm -hmm. others because you don't want to draw attention and suddenly you're faced with the realization that you can't hide it anymore it's there um you know i i was leaving work sometimes due to my symptoms, um, I would get brave and feel like, you know, I've lost so much weight. I, I, can't, I can't stop eating. I have to mm -hmm. eat something. Oh, yeah. Um, my motto became, I would rather be hungry than hurting, which was uh, true. Right. Um, you know, but, but you get so lethargic and desperate for energy that, I would get brave and say, you know, regardless of the circumstances or the repercussions, I have got to put something in my body. And so I would have a bite of lunch and then have to leave work because I was in such agony. Oh, so wow. what, I was, what I was diagnosed with is mm -hmm. called superior mesenteric artery syndrome. And uh, just to, just to explain it um, in the in the quickest and easiest way is that uh, we all, most of us know that you have an aorta, right? That runs mm -hmm. north and south. This is your main vessel for blood. And off of your aorta are these little um, pathways, arteries, and each of these arteries has a name and a special function. And the superior mesenteric artery uh, paralleled or intersected, I guess is the better word with the aorta forms mm -hmm. a triangle. And inside of this triangle is the very first part of your small intestine called the duodenum. So my problem was structural in that my superior mesenteric artery was forming an angle that was much tighter than it should mm -hmm. be. You know, someone, someone's normal angle might be, yeah. you know, this. Mine was, you know, for lack of a better word, squashing my duodenum. You know, if you're if you're putting a rubber ball right mm -hmm. here in this triangle, it was smashed. Right, right. And so theoretically, when I ate food, that first part of your digestion, that food was trapped. It could not get, it was like putting a watermelon through a straw. Um, and so my symptoms were an effect of my body reacting to that. There's, mm -hmm. there's something, you know, it, it knew there was something wrong. How do, how do we deal with this? Right. And so, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't convulsions, but in an analogy kind of way, it sort of was, uh -huh. um, so I, you know, as my body's trying to process this food that is stuck, I was getting pain in that location. And then the, the clammy, the nausea, all of right. these symptoms, because it almost um, was almost like it would view it as a foreign object. It's trying to get rid of it. 
So now is that hereditary? Does it from birth or is it a defect or does it just happen? There is a there is a lot that is still unknown mm. about this condition. Um, there is no one in my family that has this. I never heard of it. Um, yeah, it is a rare diagnosis, which is largely why it took them so long mm. to find it. So um, initially, a doctor told me that um, he thought I maybe had IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. Right, right. Um, then a different doctor told me I had Crohn's disease. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd go home on the computer and Google this trying to get some more information or, you know, be, be looking it up elsewhere or asking friends that I knew that had the same thing. And I learned very quickly that um, to be diagnosed with Crohn's, you have to have a colonoscopy because they're looking for the damage to right. your insides or evidence right. of Crohn's. And this doctor that had just diagnosed me with Crohn's had never given me a colonoscopy. Uh, so of course, you know, his credibility then went down, right? Yep. yep. Um, and I, I doctor hopped because mm -hmm. if I didn't find someone I felt was willing to help me, then I moved on. I was very um, impatient to find out what was causing this. So, um, uh, yeah, I, would, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, of course. Um, you know, my my first doctor, and and I'm very careful not to mention names uh, because as an author, that's something you have to be mindful of is slander or. Yes. Um, you know, somebody picking up this book and saying, you said this about me, um, but also as a Christian, right. you know, that's, that's not my nature, mm -hmm. bad mouth someone publicly. Um, so while I, I'm careful not to mention names, my, my first doctor was very, um, I, I felt he was very ho-hum about what was happening. Um, and, you know, the response I was getting from him was, you know, here, try a sample of Prilosec. And it, I just, I was like, no, like this right. is not your not indigestion. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, your body, you know, your body, right? Right. Uh, so I, you know, I, I quickly moved on to the next person. And, um, you know, I, I talk about it in my book at length, but um, I had a very profound relationship with my mother's mother, my, mm -hmm. my mother. Um, and she worried about me to death. Once she found out I was having this problem, you know, she was always praying for me and I would go visit my grandma without telling one, anyone that I was going because I wanted that uninterrupted time with her. She was mm -hmm. an extremely wise woman and very knowledgeable yep. about the Bible. Um, and I needed that. Right. Um, I needed her suggestions. I needed her prayers. I needed her. Right. And I would, I would drive the hour home from Ball State to, to spend quality time with grandma for oh, therapeutic nice. reasons. It was like seeing a counselor. Very mm -hmm. much so. Yeah. Um, but my my grandma uh, was always reading magazines and, and newspapers and had a she had this leather footstool where she kept all of these publications. Oh, so you can put your feet up there. <laughs> I would I would laugh because you know every time I came to visit grandma, she would have something else new laid on the footstool yeah. upside down, like bookmarked to yeah. share house next yeah <laughs> and so I went to visit her one day and she she had the Indianapolis monthly magazine laying upside down in the middle of something she'd been reading and you know I, I hardly get my foot in the in the door and she says come on in I got something for you and it was it was this magazine the the very cover was um a doctor that that they were spotlighting and he was a gastroenterologist. She had, she had read the article about him and was uh, bound and determined to get me to go see this fella. Oh, wow. And I will say his name. His name is Robert Callan. We have, we have become great friends during, 
during the process. Um, I saw Dr. Callan for over 10 years, best, best doctor I've ever had, um, mm -hmm. was extremely helpful to me, not only physically, but um, dealing with the emotions and trying to process what was going on. You know, sat, sat with me during an, an appointment, uh, um, just not rushed. We would visit until I felt like I had gotten right. value out of the visit. Um, we ran every test we knew to do. Um, he put me through about five colonoscopies. We did endoscopies, we did barium x-rays. We did um, little studies where you'd swallow this pill and they would watch it go down. You'd eat scrambled eggs and they'd watch it go down. So many different tests. Um, but you know, after a period of time, you just, you find a medicine that helps more than any that you've tried. Yep. And then we just plateaued. There was nothing else to try where there were no new medications on the market. So I ended up with this regiment of pills that I took every day. Mm -hmm. Some of them were preventative. Mm -hmm. um, you know, while, the, while they never truly prevented something from happening, it was almost right. placebo effect because they were intended to minimize spasms in the stomach, intestinal mm -hmm. area. And uh, so I, I would take preventative medicine. And then I also took what he called relief therapy, which, you know, okay, you eat something. And at the first sign of trouble, you take two of these. Um, you know, and it kind of was intended to tell my body to be quiet. Everything right. was okay. Uh -huh. um, so it, it minimized those, those feelings and symptoms that I would get. But, you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't the best. It wasn't a cure. Mm -hmm. um, I still continued to have complications. I learned along the way that I felt much better um, as a gluten-free person. And I also eventually... So there goes the mac and cheese. Right. Yeah. Mm, and I eliminated one. dairy after a certain point too. Okay. And it was explained to me that um, the gluten complication was largely because things containing gluten, once they are um, wet, they expand. And so during the digestive process, uh, you know, you eat a piece of bread and whew, yeah. and you're then you're trying to get something down that problem area that's even larger than potentially when you swallowed it. So it made yeah. total sense. Um, but I, along the way, I had little things like that that I would learn to help me feel even, even a tiny bit better. Right. Um, but just, you know, it's something that I would never wish on anyone. I got down to 115 pounds when I was finally um, told that I could have surgery for this. Oh, and wow. That has been relieving. Up, uh, what, what I was given was a duodeno J junostomy. And they. That sounds like something out of the Flintstones. It kind of does. <laughs> it kind of does. And, um, you know, it's become normal for me to say that word because I'm always conversing and, and sharing with people. Right. Um, but I think it's the longest word that I know. <laughs> I, yeah. I've, that's probably longer than supercalia expialidocious, I guess it is, right? <laughs> Comes close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's moving your intestines to the other side of your body to avoid that problem spot, which sounds scary. And, you know, I, I was told um, multiple times that it's a risky surgery, primarily because you, they're working around your aorta. Right. And you puncture that and you're gone. Right on the table. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yep. it was very real. Um, but, you know, every time I thought about it, I thought if I don't have this surgery, I'm not going to be here. Um, I was continuing to lose weight. And at, at what point do I either stop eating altogether or, you know, I'm, I'm lacking so much nutrition that I'm in a sense starving myself to death. 
and you know, I, I was ha I was having episodes of getting that black tunnel vision because I just, you know, I was deteriorating. Right, right. Frankly. Um, you know, I remember we have this giant tree in our backyard and these branches are, you know, the wind blows just slightly and these mm -hmm. branches fall in the grass. Right. And so um, my husband's constantly going out and picking up sticks before having to mow. And I went out with him one afternoon trying to help him do that. And just the motion of bending down, picking, you know, back up, bending down, back up to pick up these sticks. I was maybe five minutes in and started to feel like I was getting woozy. And I thought, you know, I really need to sit down and like now, or I'm going to fall mm -hmm. over. And I just very quickly said, um, can't do this right now. I mean, when you're in that frame of mind, you can't think very well. Right. And so the words that come out are just very short. And um, I, I remember jogging the best, the best that I could right. up to the patio and into the sliding door. And I grabbed a banana on the counter as it was the quickest thing I could get to and something I could probably eat pretty quickly. You know, once digested, they're soft. So it made sense to me to try that. I probably hadn't eaten anything of substance in at least 12 hours. I knew that was the reason for feeling the way I was feeling. So right. I thought if I eat a little something, I'll feel better. Um, but I, I was getting episodes like that frequently. And, um, you know, I remember looking at some ancestry photos. I was into genealogy for mm -hmm. some time and looking through a box of old pictures. And the thought occurred to me that I'm going to meet some of these people soon. Our, yeah, and I'll better. tell you what, having that thought is scary. Because I knew in my normal frame of mind, I would never have gone there. Right. And it, it still gives me goosebumps thinking about it because I just, I feel like, and I wonder sometimes if I had continued and not had my surgery, how long I really would have lasted. And I, I don't think it would have been long. Um, so <laughs> there you are. Backtracking a little bit, you know, writing this book at multiple points uh, led me to tears, just remembering, you know, and, and my husband would walk in after I'd finished a chapter. Oh my gosh, what's wrong? What happened? Nothing. I just wrote chapter 13. <laughs> after a while ago, did you write again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, evidently it has a happy ending. Well, it does. It does have a happy ending. I did have my surgery. Um you know, in, in all honesty, I'm, I'm not cured. Right. Um, I have residual symptoms. My doctor explained because my, my body has adapted and tried to deal with this for so long mm. that it, it will continue to almost, um, think that something's wrong. And the example that was given to me was amputees, um, mm. There is apparently something um, like ghost symptoms. If, um, you know, like if a, a veteran, for example, has a missing limb, they will continue to feel pain right. in, an, in an area where maybe their arm used to be. And it's a very real thing. And, you know, it's a phenomena that they don't know a lot about. Um, but my doctor said you may you may continue to feel almost yeah, as phantom if, pain. Yeah, as if you're having a reaction again. It's just not as intense. And right. that's exactly that's exactly what I go through, even to the point of the anxiety kind mm -hmm. of feeling. That's never completely gone away. I still there's still almost a phobia about eating in front of others because I went for so long in that environment, scared to death that I was going to have a physical reaction there in front of whomever I'm with. 
you know, be it my family, be it coworkers, right. you know, I mean, we're frequently having department lunch meetings and it's just an environment that I'm absolutely uncomfortable in. So I will, I will sometimes wait until a meeting is over and, and then have my lunch at my desk. I continue to do it that way. It just, uh, it, it's more comfortable to me psychologically. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm very broken in that regard. I have had some counseling about it, but don't know that it's really helped. It's just something that I'm used to. I'm it probably used saved to. you a lot of money. You don't have to buy anybody lunch. <laughs> well, That's true. Put that away and you can retire here in about three or four years. <laughs> yeah. And being, being gluten and dairy free too, and, mm. and kind of being that person, yeah. um, you know, you, you don't want to go to a restaurant and, and try to have to find something that they can accommodate you with. And, and right. so for that reason too, I'll often eat after whatever it is we're having a function for. Um, but all of that said, and kind of um, balled up, I guess, is um, thrown in that book. And you can count on it being um, an, an honest, very raw um, picture of what that was like for me. And, you mm -hmm. know, there are a lot of people out there that have things happen to them that, you know, affect them in profound ways. Sure. And that's what I hope writing this book will do is help, help people like that. And so what's the, what's the name and where can people get it? Sure. It's the devil inside me finding okay. Jesus in a life of struggle. It's available on Amazon. Okay. And they can either search the book or you, do you have like LinkedIn or Facebook or anything where people can reach out to you and yep, for I example, maybe a book signing or something. Sure. I am on uh, social media, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, I will, I'm also happy to give my email address. It is Mrs. Jeff Johnson at hotmail.com. That's uh, M-R-S-J-E-F-F-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. Okay. And uh, I will certainly respond the best I'm able to, but um, you know, if you're, if you're seeking a book signing or would like a signed book, um, I will, I will do what I need to, to help you out. So now I have to get back to the storm chasing because okay. I'm interested in that. <laughs> so what in the world, <laughs> why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> I live well, in Dallas. Yeah. I try to avoid them, even though I like watching them, I don't want to be in them. Yeah. Well, I will say that uh, um, I think, I think some of my crazy hobbies stem back to the desire to take my mind off what I was going through. Ah, um, right. But storm chasing for me, you know, there hasn't really been a time that I remember that I wasn't interested in storms. I remember as a child, you know, we would hear the siren going off for a tornado. Yeah. And my mom is trying to get all of our, you know, all of us kids rounded up and we, we always went to the stairs under or the closet under the stairs. And, um, you know, she'd have everybody in there except for Sarah. <laughs> because I was, <laughs> I outside. was up against the, uh, the glass door wanting to see something cool before I got scolded. But my dad would do the same thing. He would, <laughs> he would do the sirens or, or thunder or lightning. You know, he'd say, you know, go in here. And he would be at the door looking outside. I do yeah. the same thing now. We have sirens that are pretty close to where I live. And they're going off. I'm, I'm out front. I'm like, where's the storm? I mean, I'm like... Yeah. You know, what the heck is going on here? And I know that's a terrible thing to say as a storm chaser, because you're supposed to be encouraging people to do, you know, the right thing, seek right. shelter. I do the opposite. I, I get in my car and I go, <laughs> and I go <laughs> see what I can see. But for me, as ironic as it is, it's, it's very relaxing to, to be under, um, something so mystifying, I guess, you know, they're beautiful. That, the storms are beautiful and the ramifications are yes. terrible, the damage, but they're absolutely spectacular. Yeah. Um, so are we going to see a book called Sarah and the storm chasers? You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't know that I will write a storm chasing book. Although I do, I do have thoughts of another book. Um, awesome. The question is which, which thought I'm going to move forward with. I raise butterflies is also a hobby of mine. And so I would oh, like wow. to write a children's book 
about how to do that. Um, I think it so would be- So Papillon is already taken. So don't, <laughs> don't call your book Papillon. Okay, noted. <laughs> yeah, I also, um, I have some unique family history that I'd like to um, expand into a historical fiction book, kind of taking the oh, folklore cool. that we've been told um, and just running with it. Um, so there's that idea. Um, I, I have thoughts of writing another Christian book about different topics. Although, you know, what, what kind of haunts me about that is, is just, I guess, you know, we were talking early on about insecurities and how easy it is for someone to say, you know, well, you know, maybe I don't think I know enough about the Bible to, uh, do that. Or, you know, I'm, I'm just not skilled enough to, to be convincing or to point people towards the gospel. Um, but, you know, in reality, you know, I look at, I look at scripture and think about how many times God uses a nobody, right? Mm -hmm. Look at Mary. Yeah. Most of us know who Mary is and her story. Um, he uses so many people like that. Who's to say that I'm not supposed to tell people about Jesus? Um, so I'm just, I'm right now I'm trying to listen to my heart. Um, I also have had thoughts about writing a companion workbook to the book that I just finished um, in an effort to get this used as a, in like in a Bible study setting. Yeah. I, you know, one of my flaws is that I'm indecisive. <laughs> and so trying to decide which. Well, you don't project, have to make a decision right now. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, which no thing I want to work towards first. <laughs> okay. Um, but right now I'm, I'm enjoying this first book and trying to, trying to give readers my time right now. Excellent. Because I know that as soon as I start another project that yeah. will dominate my time because I, I want to give you know, anything, my undivided attention. Great. Well, Sarah, it's been a pleasure talking to you today and learning about your story. And I hope it's an inspiration to others um, that may feel like, you know, don't, don't give up. If you don't, something's not right. Don't give up and try to figure out what is not right with you. Don't let people say there's nothing wrong with you or go until you reach the, the very last place you can go to get a definitive answer to answer what's in your mind, not, not to not for them to pacify what they think you have. Yep. Follow oh. your gut. No pun intended. <laughs> exactly. There you go. <laughs> All right, well, Sarah, thank you very much. And folks, go check out her book. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.